Hello there, friend. This is Jerry Tyson in The Beacon's Light. Is the next great awakening around the corner? Find out in the book Final Fire by Tom Horn, Larry Spargimino, and Donna Howell. As today's world becomes more desperate, the world is inadvertently moving toward another great awakening. Get your copy of Final Fire by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Who can forget the classic Family Feud TV shows with Richard Dawson saying, And the survey says... Today's society's mindset is formed by opinion polls. Before a product is released, it is tested among those in a group that is sufficiently diverse as to be a cross-section of the potential users of the product. A proper number for a valid poll has been determined to be just over 1,000. I don't know about you, but I have no recollection of ever being involved in one of those polls. When it comes to some things, I know I would have helped weigh the results in a different direction than it would appear the poll had taken. If you're thinking the same thing, maybe we will also come to the same conclusion that what we think and the desired results are not the same, and they knew better than to call us. But that's for another day's discussion. In college days, for one of my classes, another student and I decided to do a telephone poll and comment on the results we found. It was painstaking, and hours asking a predetermined set of questions. Lots of hang-ups, but it was enough for anyone who would answer our question for us to get some usable results. Certainly, we didn't call a thousand people, but we learned a lot. Did you ever stop to realize that there are several opinion polls in the Bible? My guess is you never thought of it that way, but effectively, there were. How about the poll question asked by Jesus? Whom do men say that I am? The actual quote is in both Matthew and Mark. Here's the one from Mark 8:27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, asking them, Whom do men say that I am? By this time, the disciples had been with Jesus long enough to have interacted with him, as well as with their own neighbors and others they met as they traveled with Jesus. It's easy to imagine the scene under a shade tree along the way as they were walking. A short time later, Jesus had restored the sight of a blind man just by touching his eyes. Just in case you're not really thinking, this was not a common thing. Actually, it had not ever happened in the annals of history prior. Oddly, Jesus told the man, who now could see, Don't tell anyone what I've done. <laughs> Fat chance of that, a man who was blind for most or all of his life, suddenly having clear vision, 
It's not likely he's going to keep quiet. You will find if you stay with these podcasts long enough that I don't think in straight lines like some people. If it's a fat chance that the formerly blind man would keep silence about who had healed him, what would have been a slim chance of the same thing happening? Oh, well, that's enough to tax our brains for today. Back to the original purpose of all of this. You can quickly understand that there was a lot of conversation along the way as Jesus and his disciples walked the dusty roads of Galilee. So Jesus, being the one most able to cut to the heart of any matter, asked, Who do people think I am? And the survey says... In Mark 8:28, Jesus got the answer. They answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias. Others say one of the prophets. Beep. Historically, we know that John the baptizer had been put to death because he was willing to tell the truth in the face of accusation. Elijah had gone to heaven centuries earlier. As far as other prophets, if they were thinking of those who had been memorialized in the books we now have in the Bible, maybe some thought Jesus was a new prophet. Well, it was Peter who finally gave the right answer. He said, Thou art the Christ. You are the Messiah we have longed for. The light of understanding was beginning to reach into his dark corners. Messiah had been promised as far back as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The promise was sure. Eve, then Adam, following her lead, had done the unthinkable. Ever since, the beguiling serpent, Satan, has been under his judicial sentence. He can only look forward to being dealt the ultimate blow to his head, while all he could ever do was injure the heel of Messiah, who would arise from the dead to bring eternal life to all who would believe in him. The light was on, and shining brightly, Peter saw the truth in it, and in him, in Jesus, the light of the world. A while later... After Jesus had upset the tables of the money changers in the temple, had pointed fingers at the religious and political leaders of the day, and had done much to upset the social order with the actual presence of God in the middle of a nation that had gone far from him, another opinion poll question was presented. Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? In Mark 15, we find this was asked by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor under the emperor Tiberius. He was not ignorant of who Jesus was, and it's safe to say he might have wished he wasn't involved in the whole mess that was now in his lap. Early in the day, probably the first thing even before he had his second cup of coffee, he was given a hot potato to juggle. When reading the account in Mark, it's very easy to feel the frustration Pilate was having. Many questions by the chief priests and Pilate went unanswered as Jesus stood there mute. The tension in the air was nearly visible. 
Pilate was involved because he was the only one with the power of life and death in the province. The priests and the scribes surely hoped that Jesus' problem would be solved by Rome, not by them. Silence. No self-incrimination. Now what? Aha! Pilate had a sudden thought, a very good idea for that matter. He seemed to be getting a better understanding of what this was all about. Jesus was not a bad person. All he had done was challenge the authority of the Jewish leaders. Pilate had to smile at that idea. It really wasn't such a bad thing. There was another prisoner who was already condemned to death. Compared to Jesus, who was said to perform miracles that helped people, Barabbas was the ultimate loser. Pilate is thinking. To be done with him would be to be done with a real problem. Let me give you a choice, Pilate said to the gathering crowd, knowing what he expected the answer to be. I can free this Jesus, or that murdering insurrectionist Barabbas. It's your choice. <laughs> was he surprised when the overwhelming reply was, Release Barabbas? You would prefer me to release Barabbas and kill the king of the Jews? Pilate was approaching being incredulous. We have no king but Caesar, thundered back the reply. <laughs> that was a switch. The Jews hated Rome. They hated the Roman soldiers who controlled and abused them. They hated everything about what was Pax Romana, the military imposition of authority over them. It was not the days of the corner Burger King, but Pilate said, All right, have it your way. Later that day, Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross and died. He died in your place and mine. Here is something incredible to consider. The spotless Lamb of God would still be on that cross today if he was there to pay for his own sin. But he was sinless. It was our sins that caused his death as all of them were placed on him. He bore them and paid for them with his precious blood, so we could be free from the penalty and have the promise of eternal life. Beep! The crowd was wrong again. But ultimately, it was a victory for us. Interestingly enough, this same Pilate, who was used as an example of the Bible being inaccurate in all of its historical details, was archaeologically confirmed in 1961. Again, the Bible stands. Traveling to Israel and seeing the places where the events we read about in the Bible is life-changing. It happened here, is the lasting impression. It brings some of the characters to life, too. One of my favorites in all of Scripture is Elijah. Seeing him in my mind standing at the top of Mount Carmel and seeing where he actually challenged the prophets of Baal was a true highlight of our travel. Try to use your imagination as you visualize a hilltop where Elijah is taking charge with all of the false prophets on one side in array against him alone. Elijah says, 
Give it your best shot, guys. Set up your altar and the wood and the sacrifice. Then call on Baal to send down the fire to make it a real burnt offering. Back to your imagination. Can you see the looks on the faces of those prophets, dressed in their fancy robes and headdresses, these high priests who have pranced around like they were something really special, while leading the people to an eternal hell without the truth of God's direction? Elijah said, set up the altar, the wood, and the sacrifice, but don't set any fire. <laughs> they knew. See those looks of gotcha. They were outsmarted by God's man. Well, they made the best of it. There's never been a more clear line drawn to test what is true or false. The biblical accounts tell of the rituals, the incantations, the self-mutilation, the panic as the day wore on, and Baal wasn't listening to them. There was no fire. You have to love it when in the afternoon, Elijah starts to mock them. Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's talking, or he's pursuing, or he's on a journey, or peradventure, he sleepeth and must be awaked. <laughs> Elijah said in effect, hey, your god doesn't want to be disturbed while he's talking to someone else, or he might be asleep. Turn up the volume so he can hear you. Uh, maybe he's not home. Maybe he forgot to take his cell phone and just isn't getting your calls forwarded. And I love this one. Maybe he is pursuing. <laughs> the King James text is kind here. There is no hint of the meaning of this colloquial expression. To take away the delicacy, Elijah is saying, he might be busy in the outhouse. He's occupied. Talk about a kick in the teeth. Elijah had quite a sense of humor. Well, what he actually said is in 1 Kings 18. You can read the account for accuracy. By the time we get to verse 29, we learn that this has been going on since morning until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any answer nor any that regarded. What an affront to the followers of a religion to be ignored by their supposed God, abandoned, humiliating. Earlier in the day, in verse 21, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered not a word. This was an opinion poll that gave no results. In Job, the word opinion is mentioned three times. Job 32, 6 and 7, we find a portion of the account of Job and his three comforters deep in their conversation. And Elihu, the son of Barakal, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young and ye are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid and durst not show you mine opinion. I said, days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Elihu seems to be off to a good start, if one begins to read here. 
He respects older and wiser men. But then, from verse 8, he continues and said the word that often changes everything. But. Back at the beginning of the chapter, we learn that Elihu has come to the belief that Job is defending his own righteousness and setting himself up as a victim. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore, I said, hearken unto me, I also will show mine opinion. Great men, as in those well up in age, truly are not always wise. A Ph.D. degree is not needed to see and understand that. The most important thing here is that the young speaker is not running ahead of his own understanding and wisdom. Behold, he said, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons whilst ye searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words, lest ye should say, We have found out wisdom. God thrusteth him down, not man. Now he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. He seems to think that God was involved in all of Job's problems and that maybe, just maybe, Job was not the cause. Elihu is showing wisdom. Or is he? Job 32, 15 through 18 brings us to the end of our thoughts. They were amazed. They answered no more. They left off speaking. When I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more, I said, I will answer also my part. I will show mine opinion, for I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Elihu shows the value of his opinion, just as the value of most opinion polls show theirs. When it's all over, what does God think? Figure that out from the pages of the Bible, not from some teacher or guru, and follow him. You won't go wrong. In the Beacon's Light is a production of Beacon Street Media. Feel free to contact us at www.swrc.com. This is Jerry Tyson reminding you that when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. In the Beacon's Light is a production of Beacon Street Media. Feel free to contact us at www.swrc.com. This is Jerry Tyson reminding you that when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sins.